Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike and Laurent. Mike is still in holiday marriage bliss and on the road. It is Tuesday, October 5th in this episode. Holy shit, the Nuevo Casico between Liverpool and Manchester City was incredible. We'll chat about that. United, Sputter, again, Tristano on the bench. Chelsea still top, but I think that trouble is brewing in Stamford Bridge. And Mike is not here to help, so you'll get a half hour of full-speed, kick-ass passion from me. First, 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 Liverpool, Manchester City was in. Incredible. Uh, I enjoyed this with my mother <laughs> at home in East Harlem. Um, what a game. What a game. I just want to sort of step back first and sort of talk about how incredible these two teams are that other people are watching them anecdotally. Everyone's sort of asking me, hey, what about this game? What about this game? And I feel like Liverpool, Manchester City, and maybe this is my Premier League bias, and that's fine. I feel like it's the new Clásico. It is El Nuevo Clásico, uh, the Clásico for the those that are uninitiated. In most countries, there is something called the Clásico, which is the two best teams in that country play each other. So in France, it was Marseille, PSG. In Germany, it's, uh, it's Dortmund versus uh, Bayern Munich. In Spain, which is the biggest Clásico, it's, Bayern, it's uh, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. And the Clásicos usually take up the space of where are we with the two greatest teams in the world? And um, right now, I think that that's, that's Liverpool and Manchester City, the best teams in the world, especially after COVID and after what's happened with the financial crises of Barcelona and to a lesser extent, Real Madrid, are Liverpool and Manchester City. They were able, more than anything, not necessarily add players, but keep their players keep their coaches in the best league in the world who are challenged every week with the best two coaches in the world in Pep and Jurgen Klopp. And this team, this game did not disappoint. Anfield was rocking. We had You Never Walk Alone. My mom heard it sung for the first time. She was blown away. She was like, what the hell is this? Um, yes, I'm a blogger in my basement at my mom's house. No, I was in New York for Mike's wedding, and I'm glad uh, to have been there. So thanks, Mike. Um, but this game started out as you'd expect. Uh, Liverpool on the front foot in the first five to ten minutes with City getting a hold of the game. And City this week has been a gauntlet for them. They took out Chelsea away. They outplayed PSG in Paris and got and lost 2-0. That can happen. And then this game, they fought back twice to uh, to pull off the draw. Um, this game had so much drama. First, the names on the field, Salah, Manai, Jota, uh, Henderson, Van Dyke, the whole gang. Trent Alexander-Arnold did not play for Liverpool, so that's something they'll keep in their pocket. For City, it was Silva, it was Kevin De Bruyne, who was terrible. Foden, Grealish, and uh, Gabriel Jesus in the back, Laporte, uh, uh, Cancelo, uh, Diaz, Ederson, the regular gang. And it was just toe-to-toe, two teams wanting to win. How I experienced this was my classic, breathless Liverpool versus City. These games for a City fan are very not in the face. Uh, if you have an attitude like me that's very fearful 
and scared of his own shadow and death. Uh, this game is always petrifying because I have, I think at this point, gone out with friends at least a half a dozen times for a Liverpool-Manchester City game, specifically Alex. Uh, we went to the Princess Pub here, and the City have gotten the doors blown off them. So Liverpool... Uh, so for uh, all sorts of games, I got scared there was a spider in my garage. If you wondered why I flinched, I'm going to kill it now. Gross-ass fucking spider. Um, I experienced this with fear and anxiety and loathing. But then after 10 minutes, City really put their foot to the gas. And Liverpool played scared, to be fair. Uh, Phil Foden shifted out against James Milner, who was in for uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And he terrorized him. So it's not James Milner's fault for Liverpool. He's 16 years older <laughs> than Phil Foden, who's 20 or 21. And uh, James Milner's 36 in year 20. He's started at 16 years old to play uh, in the Premier League. And, um, you know, he's been at Liverpool almost as long as he was at City. So we have a soft spot for him, but he's now a, a Liverpool legend, uh, boring James Milner. He's kind of a legend at this point. But the game sort of, Meandered along. City had chance after chance, especially Phil Foden, who was incredible as usual. Um, just touches and speed with the ball and Bernardo Silva everywhere, snapping into challenges. And Liverpool played scared. They just didn't seem to be able to get out and get around City. They were a step off, which was weird for Anfield. They kept hoofing the ball long, so hoofing it, meaning... They have the ball. They want to build from the back. So the keeper passes to the to the defenders in the back, and they try and move the ball around and try and go through the whole pitch by passing. And City were just in their face uh, and marking people hard. So they would get scared and just, instead of looking for the open man, hoof it upfield. So that was for most of the first half. City just had strong possession, a lot of control, weren't creating much aside from Phil Foden, a couple times there was a shout for a penalty uh, that James Milner got lucky for. It wasn't even a free kick. We'll get into that again. He did end up getting a yellow card later on for a pullback. And Grealish sort of moving in and out in the false nine spot. City played the way they have been playing. And I don't think it's anything new that we learned. But we did learn that City and Liverpool are the two best teams in the world by far. Um, City going, went into the half at nil-nil. I felt nervous, but happy. I thought City were great. I thought City had the same problems they always have, which is not converting chances or not finding shots to take. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne also missed a wide open header. I mean, he's not a header of the ball. I thought maybe he could have taken it down with his foot and tried to do the half volley. It was odd that he tried to head it in. Uh, that was a ball from Foden as well on that side with Milner, which they attacked constantly. Uh, uh, Cancelo was really good. Uh, everyone was good. I mean, in a game like this, all the players are great. Otherwise, you lose. Uh, that's what has to happen. You have to be what they call switched on. And City were switched on and attacking with pace, with power. Uh, there was a moment that could have been the greatest goal of the season. And then we actually got it later on. And we'll talk about that in the second half. But um, Bernardo Silva went through the entire Liverpool team. He spun three times. He got through midfielders, defenders, and then made a pass to Foden, who needed to take it first time, but he took a touch and, and Allison was out. Great goalkeeping. We had everything. Uh, we had Ederson making insane passes from the back 
everything went on. Everything you'd want to see, controversies, VARs, uh, a little bit, not too much. Thank God, because I hate VAR, or we needed it in one sense. But then in the second half, as expected, Liverpool came into the game on 53, I think, 55 or 60. I'm not sure. I could look it up. Um, Salah's out on the wing. He beats Cancelo. And once he's turned and running, you really get the sense of how much control City had that once they lost a little bit of control, they were in trouble. Once one mistake was made at the halfway line for Salah, he's turning and running inside. Mane makes a ridiculous diagonal run that he's he goes from the left to the right. Salah slips him in, really good pass, shoots it past Ederson. I wished that Ederson could have just made that one save. It felt, it reminded, not that it felt like Bravo because uh, Ederson makes saves all the time, but it it did have a Claudio Bravo sense. Like, you're just like, come on, man, just make a fucking awesome save uh, to save us here. And he wasn't able to do it. Uh, and that's okay. It happens. I didn't get too bummed out about it. But Liverpool were up one none, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. Uh, then Liverpool were in the game a lot more. It became a much more, a much tighter game, much more of a fight, and it was much more even. Then 10 minutes later, Phil Foden on the left, on the left foot hammers it home on a great work from De Bruyne, from Gabriel Jesus, a good run from Kyle Walker to sort of cause distraction, a team goal that looks like it's just a good finish, but so many other things are happening in these games. So one of the things you have to look at uh, if you're new to these kind of games is look, try and see everything because the reason a guy is open and a reason why a shot happens invariably is four or five things that happen. It's not individual brilliance all the time. Sometimes it's someone ran and moved someone out of the way because he picked up in his eyesight and he ran away. In this case, Walker was steaming ahead and sort of distracted the defense so that he created space for other people to run. I like to, one of the things I learned while watching football is everything is connected, right? I always talk about this, the idea that it is a weak link sport. And when your team is firing and when your team is really good against great opponents, you need everyone to contribute. Even the bad players need to do little things here and there. For instance, Kevin De Bruyne was terrible in the first half, kept on losing the ball, wasn't able to connect passes. He was trying to do home run passes, like trying to pass balls between people's legs, trying to make a pass that that maybe wasn't there, being brave. And then he did make one uh, when he had time after the run that that people that uh, Walker did. So that was cool. And Foden finished city level. I thought, come fucking on. I must've woke up half of East Harlem with my shout, with my scream. Uh, it was incredible. Then of course we had the moment of an all time goal. Uh, Mo Salah is fucking incredible and terrifying. He went through with his footwork, tiptoeing around in the box. I don't know. All of city. So he sat down Bernardo Silva. He sat down Americ Laporte. He sat down uh, Cancelo, who was out of the play because he tried to do something stupid at the halfway line and just scored a goal for the ages <laughs> at in Anfield. And the place fucking erupted. I was petrified. I thought, good fucking Christ. God damn it, Liverpool. I hate you. I hope you all die in a plane crash like Manchester United in Munich in 1958. You can look it up. That happened. Half their team died. Uh, I don't really mean that, but I was so angry. I was like, God damn it. You can't really feel bad when, when a player does something fucking incredible. And, and Mo Salah is right now, if he's not 
the best player currently in form with Benzema, then he's close. Because I think we'll all admit that Ronaldo and 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 Messi are either not at their best or, or a little bit past it. Like Ronaldo used to be able to do things like Salah did. He still scores goals, but not like that. This was an, a moment of individual brilliance. Cut it on his right foot. He's a left-footed shooter. So it would be like if taking a left-handed uh, layup in the back post. I mean, it was a great goal. Liverpool are up 2-1. They think they're cruising. It's the 75th minute. And five minutes later, again, a nice run, a nice flowing move. And Kevin De Bruyne gets the deflection to uh, hammer it home. A good goal. The kind of shot that he usually misses because he's not a great finisher. But City got a little bit of luck and got the level. And the game went level. And then the game had another five or ten minutes of uh, a fight. But um, really petered out. Now. Controversial moments, moments, moments. James Milner should have 1,000% been sent off. He was being terrorized by Phil Foden, picked up a card early. All the good attacks that City had were down, especially in the first half, were down James Milner's side. God love him, old brickhead, old boring James Milner. Millie had a torrid game trying to deal with Phil Foden, who's the next in line for the great players. And he, on the halfway line, between he and Henderson are marking Bernardo Silva on his side again. And Milner basically chopped him down with a leg out to trip him so he doesn't get past him, which in any other time, at any other moment in history, is a yellow card. And for some reason, the 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 the, the referee, Tierney, just doesn't call it. Uh, is it fear? Is it Anfield? Is it whatever? City should have been up a man. And then within a five minutes after that is when Salah scored a goal. So I don't I don't want there to be players sent off unless they are deserving of it. And in this case, James Milner deserved to be sent off. Um, I don't like tic-tac fouls. I don't like VAR. I don't like any of that stuff. But in this case, there was no real... There was no real reason why... Um, why Milner should be in that game. Um, he should have been sent off and the game would have been different. Now City come away with the draw. I'm super fucking satisfied with it. Um, you know, there are draws that are bad and there are draws that are good. For City drawing at Anfield against this Liverpool is a good result. Um, City just go through probably their toughest week of the season. They win at Chelsea, which was massive. They draw, they lose at PSG, but the group stages, they'll still be fine. They've got young boys twice. I'm not worried about them in that sense. And then they have, um, they've drawn at Liverpool in a game where they had showed a lot of fight, showed a lot of power, showed a lot of control, and it bodes well for their season. Uh, City still have the best defense in the league or close to it. And they go away sitting up two points off the top. Uh, I'm really pleased with it. I was happy with the game. It was fun. It was exciting. Uh, these this new Classico, we we should appreciate how good these teams are and what level of skill, what this means for the Premier League. This is the biggest league in the world with the best players in the world. And it's amazing that we get to have them. Uh, and even as I segue into the United game, we still have the best players in the world. Uh, they just have a shitty coach. Uh, they get outcoached. Liverpool, uh, sorry, Everton on the other side of town go 
to Old Trafford and draw with Manchester United in a game they could have won. Uh, United don't play Ronaldo. United don't play Pogba. For some reason, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinks that this is a game to rest, even though it's before the international break. So not smart there. And I could say the same things over and over and over again about United. They just don't have a good coach. I can't say it enough. Uh, And this goes into my betting idea of Rafa Benitez, iconoclastic, good coach, going against an amateur. Not amateur, sorry. A, A coach in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who is not of the quality of the rest of the coaches in the league. He's just not as good or has the skill to manage the biggest club in the world, Uh, especially now, right? Especially now. Manchester United are the most profitable, most valuable club in the world now that Barcelona and Real Madrid are basically on the mend and damaged. It is the most valuable club in the world, and they have a nice guy that deflects from the owners of the team and they just collect their checks and Ole says nice nice things and doesn't demand anything and you know is just just gets to be the coach of Manchester United. Oh, ho hum, just gets to be the coach of Manchester United. He's a bozo. Uh he's not up for the challenge and he drops his team points because he does not coach them to win games. He does something else that I don't understand. He doesn't have patterns of play. They're just living on the opportunity to, you know, do whatever. Uh, They got hit on the break again. And don't tell me it's because McTominay and Fred. That's an excuse at this point, right? It's an excuse to say, oh, my green screen's acting up. It's an excuse to say you don't have the players. Figure out a way to minimize the risk from those players, right? Figure out a way to minimize the risk from those players. Um, you know, at this point, at this point, I don't trust Ole to figure out a way. Other coaches figure out answers to problems. Uh, he does not. You know, if you think about Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea's problems, um, he figured out a way to solve the problems of the of the defense that uh, Chelsea had. And any team that gets hit on the break, I know this because I am a City fan, any team that gives up goals on the break is never going to win anything. And that's United's problem right now. They cannot prevent teams from breaking in on them uh, when they have lots of possession. So they draw 1-1 on an amazing breakaway from Townsend and Damari Gray. Fred falls apart. Uh, I don't remember how they got their early goal. Oh, no, I do. Anthony Marshall was playing for Ronaldo on a really nice setup from Bruno Fernandes. But Ronaldo did come on late. Pogba did come on late. They did try and win it, but it was too late. And on the road, at sorry, and at home, they lose. Of course, Everton were incredible. They had a chance to win on a VAR call. Uh, Tom Davies will be ruining the fact that he didn't shoot on goal. But right now, United are not a, talent, a title contender as long as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the coach of Manchester United. They are not going to win anything. And I don't know who the right coach should be or what the right culture is or whatever, but I do know that Grant Potter would win the league with this team. Dean Smith would win the league with this team. 
Thomas Frank would win the league with this team. And those are secondary league managers. They're just better. They just know what to do. Um, there's probably only one team in the Premier League that would rather that would have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over the coach they have. One, only Newcastle would rather have Ole than their coach. Right? Is that true? I think it is. You let me know. You let me know. What team in the Premier League right now would rather have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer than their own coach? It's not Chelsea. It's not City. It's not Liverpool. It's not, Sp it's not Spurs. It's not Arsenal. It's not Everton. Bad, 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 bad stuff. What a fucking clown show that is. Um, speaking of clown shows, poor Timo Werner could not get his way through a paper bag. Although Chelsea sputtered against Southampton, Southampton, again, a team that has a better... Ralph Hasenhutl would win with United. A team that plays hard, works hard, tries to win. It's raining all over London. They're doing a great job. They're, they're, they're stifling uh, Chelsea. Chelsea got a goal early from uh, one of their three named players, uh, Nathan Chalaba, uh, a header early. But Southampton still fought. And then poor James Ward-Prowse, after tying the game on a VAR penalty, which was a penalty, um, he gets a straight red on a VAR check. And basically, once the red comes in, then Southampton have no chance. It was marginal. It should not have been a red card. But uh, Mike Dean decided that he wanted to be part of the game and uh, made the call. And once uh, Atkinson went to the monitor, it looked worse than it was. Southampton draw. Timo Werner gets scores three goals. Two of them called off for VAR. I heard a stat that Timo Werner has had 16 goals overturned. 16. That's a fucking lot. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're all VAR. Maybe some of them are offside goals that, you know, he was clearly offside. But still, 16 different times he's put a ball in a net and had it overturned. That is an incredible number and an incredible stat. But Werner gets his goal. Uh, Chelsea Cruz, uh, it's no big deal for them. But I think there is um, there are problems at Chelsea right now uh, in terms of them being title contenders. You know, they, they lost to City. They had a hard time in the Champions League against Juventus. And then they had a hard time in this game. They're having problems creating opportunities. So Mason Mount has become really important to them. And when he doesn't play, things aren't working. They're not getting the ball to Lukaku. Things are a little bit weird there. They're still defensively strong. They're still controlling games from defense. But something's not right. I think I would now, even though two weeks ago, before City played Chelsea, I would have said, oh, they're going to win the league. It's no big deal. I now sort of sense that Chelsea are not quite up for the challenge. Their offense is the problem. They cannot create enough opportunities right now. So they are missing Mount. They are missing Pulisic. They are missing Hudson-Odoi. They need someone in the middle to create problems, uh, get between the lines and get the ball to Lukaku. What's happening with Lukaku is he's not getting the ball. Uh, he's a great finisher. He had only one chance, and he didn't finish it. So Chelsea stay top of the league, even with all this stuff that's gone on, even with all the items that have happened, all this stuff uh, with City and the Champions League and all this stuff. Chelsea's still top of the league, so they can sit pretty and feel good there, but I don't expect them to win the league. Let's do some housekeeping. Attitude of Gratitude Consultant. 
Mike is now married. Mike had all the help he needed from Joe to help him find the money that he needed to get married. Uh, Joe from Attitude of Gratitude Consulting helped him. Joe has helped us set up lots of things and make sure our bills get paid. He is a wonder at looking through finances, looking through your ins and outs, putting that ledger together and saying, hey, do you need this? Do you want this? Uh, we can find better ways to consolidate. So contact our friend Joe at attitudeofgratitudeconsulting.com for the latest uh, info and schedule a meeting with him so that he can help you like he has helped Mike and I. And we will get back to the rest of the Premier League. Okay, okay, okay. So we're back. Joe has been taken care of, our friend. And uh, I just want to talk about Spurs. Mike isn't here to uh, wax poetic about Spurs, but I did watch the highlights of Spurs. I thought Aston Villa were going to come in and kill Spurs, but Spurs showed the spirit that they should have showed in the North London Derby. It looks like Nuno has figured something out. Um, they were they were good in the counterattack. Skip and Hoiberg protected the defense. I don't know why Eric Dyer is still playing Royale and uh, Regulon are playing in the fullback. So it looks like the defense is shifting. They're getting that defensive solidity that they needed. Uh, Harry Kane scored in a week, but not in this game. So the boys were back in town, and it looked from the 10-minute, 15-minute highlights I saw that everything that happened that was good was from him and son, who in my mind, is Spurs' best player and has been for probably two years. Uh, I've always liked him. Uh, it might be biased because he absolutely annihilates Manchester City whenever he plays them. But Spurs were so, so good in this game. Um, and uh, I'd say him and some had only one shot on target, but the goal came from Hoiberg that he set up. And then it looks like there was an own goal uh uh, an own goal. Wait, wait, where's the goal? Hold on a second. From Matt Target. Yeah, uh, it wasn't as own goalie as I would say, but it was a good performance by Spurs. Uh, Kane took a lot of shots, but they weren't so fantastic. He did press a lot. So he's getting more and more engaged in the game. It looked to me that Sun was the big uh, attacker in this game and created everything good for Spurs. But Mora was back in. Uh, and Dombele played higher up the pitch and was able to affect the game on offense and make those transitions work a little bit better. So a version of Spurs appeared in this game that I was happy about. Uh, I mean, respect to Villa, Watkins did score a goal. They just, you know, they're not quite here. They're having these moments. This is what happens with good little teams. They're a little inconsistent uh, with their three at the back. Uh, Courtney House was really getting turned around quite a lot by uh, on the goal by Sun. So a good game for Spurs, a needed win for them. They were – a bad loss would have really put them under pressure. So Spurs right the ship a little bit. They have four wins and three losses. The three losses is right up there with you know most of the teams in the league that are bad. Uh, so a good performance by them. Sun good. We'll see if, again, the consistency can come and Nuno can get Spurs to play – better on a regular basis. Um, and he does have the international break to work on the team. And he does have time on the pitch to get them moving in the right direction. It is a good, good win for them and a necessary win for them 
because I think Spurs were in trouble with another loss. Um, I did bet against them. Uh, I did not like what I saw in the North London Derby. I thought that Nuno maybe had already lost the team. Uh, my quick thought is Deli Ali can never play again. I just think he's gone. Uh, the hair, he looks like he's always stoned. I haven't seen a good game from Deli Ali in a long time. And when they play without him, they're better. Uh, Skip and Hoiberg with Ndombele in the midfield, that just makes a difference for them. Uh, gives them the solidity that they need so that they can attack. I think the issue was is that they didn't really have a way to play. And this game, they actually did have a way to play that helped them move forward without the risk of turnover and getting hit on the break. So they are in better shape in that regard. So I like what I saw from Spurs. I always like whenever Sun and Kane are playing together, that's how Spurs are going to win games. They still have one more piece to replace. They've got to get rid of Eric Dyer. He's so bad in defense. He's always going to be a weakness. And uh, I think if we can get rid of Eric Dyer, get uh, Ramirez, is it Ramirez? I can't remember his name, the new defender, to play with maybe Rondon or something like that. Maybe Spurs can move forward in that regard. Uh, but I don't know where they go to next. Next up in the world of the Premier League, we had our first manager firing. I don't even think I got to know him. Uh, Watford, of course, fire their manager after he loses to Leeds after seven games. Uh, Watford are weird. They're like a shit version of Chelsea where they just fire their managers whenever something goes wrong. Um, it's weird that they fired him. He was not our first choice manager. He brought them up, so they had to keep him. And now they bring back our old friend, Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong, uh, the Premier League winning manager, Claudio Ranieri, will take the reins of Watford. The Pozzo family, who are out of Italy, own Watford and a handful of other teams around Europe. And they have this method. It's very Italian. They have structures in place that are consistent, but the coach is the fungible piece. And they'll just change him and change him and change him. I think they've had... 12 managers in three years. So something ridiculous like that. So we have our first manager fired. We hardly knew you. Goodbye, Mr. Munoz. Uh, I don't even know who you are. You have a strange name. It's Isco Munoz with an X. So we'll see him later. I do want to go now to um, my friends at Arsenal versus um, Brighton. This game was nil-nil, but... Brighton kicked the shit out of Arsenal, and on another day they win. It was pouring with fucking rain. Uh, Arsenal will take away from this game that they held strong in defense, even though they got fucking battered. And this was a very last season Brighton performance where they played great. They had the ball. They did everything they were supposed to do, but couldn't score. And uh, Arsenal were lucky to get out of there with the draw. So... It's a little back to the drawing board for Arsenal after the North London Derby. They're not able to string two performances that are good together. Now, they can take a clean sheet away from this. They can be happy. They didn't give up a goal. They can ha be happy with the point on the road. I think five games ago, uh, we talked about uh, Arsenal when they were on zero points needing at least 12 from five, and they got 13. Uh, I'm going to just check that right now. So Arsenal fans should feel pretty good about where they ended up. I think we said 
after the city loss in match week three, they had five games. So one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, they needed 12 from five and they got 13, right? They got the win versus Norwich Burnley and no, 12 from four, right? They got the win from Norwich, Burnley and Spurs. That means they were on nine. So they got 10. How did I think they were 12? Wait, six, nine. I, I got something wrong. Oh, maybe the Palace game was included. Well, they're already ahead. They're, they've already got their 12. Well, they've already got 10 from these four, and then they have one more uh, with Palace. So they're doing great. They've turned it around uh, a lot. Uh, they're not necessarily winning XG battles, uh, but they are winning games, and that's all that matters. Um, they, do need to they do need to correct these problems, uh, but they feel like they're on a better path than, say, Spurs are. Uh, but... Brighton away is a team you should be beating. But I think at this point, if we're really honest about where Arsenal and Spurs are, they are in the same group with Aston Villa, Brighton, Leicester. Leicester's probably better. Everton, close. And um, and Brighton. So there's a group of teams that I sort of lump together in terms of quality of where they are and i'd say that you know everton brighton tottenham west ham villa arsenal and pal and and leicester city they're all kind of the same they're not i wouldn't say they're quite mid-table but these are the teams that have ambition to be in europe aren't at risk of relegation and have expectations from fans that they should be moving forward so these are the tricky teams that have expectations, have good teams, and are battling each other for supremacy within the league. And then I think there's another group. There's the top four group um, with Chelsea, Liverpool, and City. That's the top three. Then United sort of sits on its own. It's like it's not going to challenge for the title, but it's b clearly better than Everton, Brentford, and Tottenham. So they're kind of in their own group. There's a top three. Then there's, a, there's, there's United by itself in that it has the talent of the other teams. And then there's like six teams that are all kind of the same. And then there's another group behind that uh, that are half relegation, with, but with good coaches. So uh, Arsenal are where they are. They're kind of in line with Spurs, in line with Aston Villa, in line, strangely, with Brighton, uh, in line with Leicester City, who, are, who we'll get on to next who are sputtering but have ambition. So Leicester City went away to Crystal Palace, which we know is an amazing ground. Went up two goals through Vardy and and Ihanacho, which we've been calling for Ihanacho to play as a nine and a half. No joke, joke intended, joke not intended. And they blow it. They give up two goals in the second half uh, behind uh, my favorite player, Michael Olawesi comes on in the second half and within 10 minutes scores a goal. Then Schlupp comes on for Connor Gallagher in the 71st minute. He scores a goal a minute later. And it looks like, you know, uh, everything Vieira is doing is working. Uh, my guy, Connor Gallagher, got pulled off. But, you know, it was because he had been running his fucking brains out. And, less, and Crystal Palace are a real team now. They do play an attacking uh, style. Uh, they do, they can, especially at home, bring it to you, take you on. And Leicester, again, are still 
sputtering. I don't, I think the Johnny Evans thing is a big deal. I think that, you know, they don't have the same spirit. Maybe it's year three. So Yunchu has not been as good anymore. Um, you know, they had to play Chowdhury in the holding role. They've lost in Didi for seven weeks at least. So they'll be in trouble. Uh, the two coinciding seasons where they dropped out of the top four, both came when Ndidi went down. Ndidi is their Conte. Ndidi is their, um, is their uh, uh, Casemiro. Ndidi is their Fernandinho. Like, without Ndidi, their team is not as strong defensively, can't win the ball high up. He covers up for all the mistakes. And without Ndidi, I think Leicester sort of pulls into less that European spot role and more into the pack with Spurs and West Ham and Villa and Arsenal and the rest of the group there. So uh, I do worry now for for Leicester. Uh, I do think one thing I do think is I think the, the Rodgers time is kind of running out of steam maybe. You know, four years, three years with the same team. Coaches get tired. And I think that uh, Brighton will be, I think Leicester would be a perfect spot for my guy Potter uh, to to then take over for that role while Rodgers tries to go someplace else. I don't know. This is just my my own, my own personal uh, feeling. But let's uh, let's try and go around the league a little bit more. Um, our team in Brentford. Wow. E wow. In a battle of East London versus West London. West invades uh, West Ham, which is in the east of London, at the Olympic Stadium and pulls out a 95th-minute winner. Woo-hoo! Brentford, you fuckers. So the team everyone loves to love, they pull one out. Wissa, again, who who drew uh, level in the 3-3 game versus Liverpool at home last week, now draws level again, but this time for the win. And Brentford steal it, and I mean steal it at the death from West Ham, and they are in the top half of the table. What an amazing start for Brentford. We have been talking about them. Uh, we've been, we're going to keep talking about them. Right now, they are in the European places. So, wow for Brentford. They're 3-3, three and three, plus 4 goal difference. They are right there. And if you don't love Brentford, you are missing out. They kind of have that same feel uh, and expectation like, hey, this is where things are. This is the team to be around. This is where everything's going. And it's an amazing uh, event for Thomas Frank and the rest of the Brentford boys to then kick ass and kick on. A um, little bit of, we should probably talk about a little bit of the relegation battle. Um, Leeds get their first win. They needed it. Munoz gets fired. We know that. So off to Schneid for them. Uh, Bielsa is taking a little pressure, but they they move up a little bit. Burnley, ugh. Burnley draw with Norwich, which is a catastrophe for them. Uh, this is Norwich's first points of the season. I don't, I'm, I'm di- really disappointed in Norwich. I thought that, you know, I've really been touting Weber as a modern coach, uh, a model of consistency, but it seems that their consistency about Norwich is that they're okay with going down and they're not going to react to performances within the Premier League. And they're just going to keep Daniel Farka, despite the fact that his team's getting blown out of the water uh, every week. They're just going to take their check and go back down. They are working in a model of sustainability. They are working in an unemotional way when you juxtapose it to um, Watford, who just fire their coaches all the time. They are looking at consistency and being accepting of where they are and hoping that 
you know, these losses will help them grow. And perhaps in the second half of the season, they'll kick on. They're still only a win away from being right there with Southampton, who have four draws. But they're one in six with a minus 14 goal difference, which is bad. Uh, but they do get the draw versus Burnley, a good defensive performance on their part. But Burnley, this is a game that Sean Dyche has got to have. He cannot, if he wants to keep Burnley in the league, which I think is his goal, there are less and less shit teams that Burnley can outmuscle. Uh, if you look through the league table, only Newcastle are really a team you'd expect to go down and play that same way. Almost all the teams in the league now play progressive football. Uh, Southampton, Leeds, uh, Watford. Well, Watford will now have your Ranieri, so they'll be 4-4-2. Uh, but Crystal Palace, Wolves, Arsenal, like there are no more dinosaurs. There's no more 4-4-2, sit behind the ball, soak up pressure teams. And Dyche is kind of the last of the remaining old school Tony Pulis types. And I think that that style that is okay with draws and not going for wins is going to hurt him because he thinks he's going to have, he thinks there are points on the board, but these other teams are going to accept losses while going for wins. And those draws aren't that valuable, right? Like you look at Southampton, sure, they're zero, they have four draws, but Norwich have six losses and they just need one win to catch up on those four draws. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sort of like the three point shot, but even worse. Like you should always go for the win. And if your team is not playing in a way that allows them to win and get three points, you know, those losses, they're not as bad. Like draws don't mean shit. Like it's one point. Yeah, they mean they mean something, you know, to get to that magical 40 number or whatever. But I would gladly take two losses and a win than 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 two draws and a loss. Right. You know, it's just one of these things where three is bigger than one. So go for the win. Try and win. Uh, those losses don't hurt that much when a draw is only one point. I know that sounds ridiculous. Sounds ridiculous to have to even say it, but don't fucking get draws. Draws suck. Don't draw. <laughs> so um, I'm worried for Burnley, but, you know, Sean Dyche, you got to find a way uh, to get wins and not winning a versus Norwich is actually a complete and total catastrophe, a complete and total catastrophe. So I think we covered the entire league. This time I got to 40 minutes uh, without Mike. Much harder to do than you'd expect. Um, so where are we? We are in the international break. So what that means is there will be no Premier League games for two weeks. We don't uh, The games don't resume until the 16th. And we go to international breaks, which means COVID testing, which means players in quarantine, which means games that no one cares about, which I don't understand why the fuck they do this. For our American fans, sure, we get to watch the U.S. team be terrible uh, against Jamaica. We get to watch some games that matter, some games that don't matter. Uh, it is a brutal time to be having an international break, especially after that City-Liverpool game. Uh for, as a city fan, I'm I'm happy that um, that the team gets a break from this sort of intensity. But I am worried about these international games. But seeing as we're very close, we're at a sort of miles at the second um, at the second international break. I do want to go through and let's have a look at the table. 
just to get a sense of where we are. So we have Chelsea up top on, where the hell is the points? They got everything but points. Uh, on 16, Liverpool on 15. So City just a, two points behind uh, uh, Chelsea on 14. Then there's four teams on 14. So City, United, Everton, Brighton on 14. The quality of these teams is not the same as each other. Uh, you can get a better sense of the XG difference to get a sense of the quality of these teams. Uh, so City are on plus 11 XG. Uh, they get that because they batter teams. Then the next group of teams on 12, Brentford and Tottenham. Funny how narrative works, right? Funny how narrative works. Brentford are 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Spurs are 4-3. and three. But they got three wins in a row, then three losses in a row, and then a win. Whereas Brentford get the win early, get the draws versus Liverpool. It's all about expectations. Now, their underlying numbers are better, but you can see where they are. Uh, West Ham had two, had a lucky win and then a lucky, an unlucky loss. So those two losses hurt them. But they are their quality shows. Villa in tenth, uh, Arsenal rounding out the top ten, tied on ten points. Then Wolves, Leicester. We see Leicester down here in 13th having a really hard time, and their underlying quality is not good. Their underlying quality is not good. They're not creating chances. Uh, the damage and loss from uh, Madison not being there has been a problem, so they need to get that together. See, XG, they're not even creating chances. Uh, Watford sit in 15th, but you can see why they fired Munoz the underlying numbers were not good for Watford. They got a win in opening day and they got another win versus Norwich. But otherwise, their underlying numbers have been poor. Leeds, we know about. Bielsa is having a hard time second season. They're still in that XG even space uh, with 10, 4, 12 against, but they haven't actually scored uh, all those goals. So we'll see where they get to. They're three under their XG, which hurts them. They need those goals. Uh, they're not good enough to not have them. Uh, they did. They were about even last season. Then Southampton, uh, Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. I expect this bottom three to stay there, um, and Watford will probably get dragged down. I don't think they're good enough either. But the 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 relegation group, I'd say, is Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley, Southampton. You have to put leads there. You know, it could happen. Watford. Yeah, it's this it's this group without it's this group. It's these five teams. I know that sounds obvious, but I think that the quality that we're seeing from Crystal Palace and the quality from Wolves is too good and I just don't think Brentford are going down and neither are Brighton. They're they've already got too many points in the bag. It's really hard when you've already got 14 points or 12 points to get dragged into these single digit groups. They've got basically a a 10 point cushion against these other teams. So they'll be in good shape. But I do think that between this, these five, uh, three will go down. Watford, Leeds, Southampton, Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich. It's between those five. Maybe, yeah, they, all the other teams are way, way, way too good. Okay. Okay. I put the time in and it's looking good. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike and Laurent. We record on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe. And we are part of the Chop Sports Network. We love you. We need you. Mike, I miss you. I will see you on Thursday. Thank you and 
Good night. <laughs>